What up, what up, what up? Welcome back to Sam Dunks, the weekly NBA show over at Slab Socks. Today, we are doing a mashup between Sam Dunks and Slab Socks Investing 101. So I'm joined here uh, with Slab Socks, Aaron. Uh, Aaron, thanks for, for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is awesome because the last time I think we did like a duo show like this, it might have been you and Nate like last October or November. <laughs> that was yeah. so long ago. So it's, it's nice to get both of us on the same feed here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we brought this on, you know, obviously last week we finished our uh, our draft recap, went all the way back to the 2016 NBA draft. And it was really kind of telling to me as I was looking through players. And, and I've always really been into the NBA draft. Kind of my fandom in any sport is always like forward looking. So I, I love just dreaming about these guys and thinking about them. And going back to 2016, I was having all these flashbacks to these guys that I thought were surefire Hall of Famers. And now they're hardly even in the league uh, and kind of brings me to some of the discussion I've been hearing around my content for the past couple of months. And it's, you know, you see these comments that says, why are you talking about these guys only invest in LeBron or Giannis or, or, you know, be buying this guy that I said is a sell. And, and there's just so many different opinions out there. And I'm not necessarily saying that any of them are wrong. I think they just all come from totally different perspectives on what you're trying to achieve in your, your card portfolio. Um, so uh, today we're just talking about when to sell your basketball investments, uh, when to buy, when to hold, when to sell, what you're trying to achieve with that long-term versus short-term, uh, not trying to get greedy and predict the peak of these guys, uh, we're just going to kind of try and tackle all those topics here with with Aaron. Um, so first off, we want to talk about selling on performance. Aaron, one of the things that I, I noticed when I was looking at all these drafts, uh, and maybe you could throw this graphic up there on the screen or something later. I don't know. Uh, if we go through the 2019 NBA draft, you have Zion Williamson. John Morant, R.J. Barrett, DeAndre Hunter, Darius Garland, Jarrett Culver, Kobe White. Like as I'm reading through those names, I'm getting like butterflies hearing them all. I'm still I still think every single one of them has a really good chance of being a, a really good player. And I'm sure anyone out there listening is probably thinking the same thing. We go back to the 2015 draft, which I didn't cover. Carl Anthony Towns. Awesome. D'Angelo Russell. All right. You know kind of getting a little more wishy-washy on my feelings about him. Jalil Okafor, obviously, crap. Chris Zingas, we know it was really, really awesome for a while. Uh, maybe hit some bumps along the road. Then you have Mario Hizonia, who at the time, he was like this can't-miss athletic freak from overseas. And you got Willie Cauley-Stein, who was just this blocking phenom that was lining up with Carl Towns, and it was you know, an awesome center prospect. Emmanuel Moutier, this long, can't-miss point guard. Stanley Johnson, just an awesome 3 and D prospect. Frank Kaminsky, best footwork anyone's ever seen in the NBA draft they were seeing. Justice Winslow, everyone at the time was like, how did Miami end up with this guy at 10? He's an absolute future all-star. And half those guys I just read are basically hardly even NBA players anymore. Yeah. And it's only we're only five years into their career. So yeah, it's... it's <laughs> It's really telling when you kind of start going back through these drafts and and think about how you feel about all the top 10 guys now. Go back only four or five years and look at the top 10 and it's like pretty gross to think about yeah. and how we can we can really get a starry-eyed view at, at players uh, when they're really recently selected. 
And maybe sometimes we need to to check ourselves a little bit and try and evaluate what's going on and, and try to prognosticate and look forward at, at what's actually going to happen. Yeah. And as we've been going through content for the last like, you know, nine months, ever since, you know, all that new NBA stuff started released, the 2019 NBA cards, rarely do you find in our emails daily 2019 NBA cards other than Zion and Ja and maybe Tyler Hero here and there. Like a lot of these guys you can buy and probably make money on at some point, but most of them, if you think about it, are just going to be starting to fade away as the years go on. And there's just so many better options that we already know about between 2017 and 2018. I mean, the fact that Bam Adebayo was what, like a $5 prism rookie for the longest time when you could go and buy, I don't know, like some like Kobe white for like 15 bucks or something, you know, like that's crazy. That's absolutely wild, which is why I think around the whole entire 2019 NBA, like landscape for the card market, there's so much bias in terms of like how much boxes cost, how retail you can't even find on the shelves. And it's all just intrinsically making people think that these guys are worth more than they actually are. So people mm-hmm. start going and spending a lot of money because there's some type of, you know, chase factor involved with it versus, you know, you just go on eBay and buy your BAM at a bio. Like what's so exciting about that when now you see all the breakers pulling all the 2019 cards, all that stuff. And people are chasing Zion and Ja, and then people who can't afford Zion and Ja want to go and chase someone else new. So then their stuff becomes really expensive. And you can find so many better players 2018, 2017, 2016 that were like literally the same price or less than most of these new guys. Yeah. And you know, that really kind of stems into you know, when I when I say in one of my videos, a guy's a buy, and then someone says, you shouldn't be investing in these guys. They're not Hall of Famers. And yeah, obviously, most of these guys aren't Hall of Famers. The majority of NBA players are not Hall of Famers. But if you understand the hype around a player and you can try and foresee a little bit of a window where that's going to continue to be the case, you can buy some of these guys for a little bit cheaper and then understand you're not going to be holding them for two or three or four or five years. Only hold them for like six months, seven months, a year at tops and then sell them while people are still excited about it. You know, for a majority of the the first round picks this year, I think the window is like a year or two. Like next year, if the NBA draft really is, you know, kind of as uh, unimpressive as as a lot of people are saying, I think we're going to have some sustained excitement for the sophomores, you know, this year's rookie class. But after that, when we go into, we get Cunningham in the draft class after that and uh, Bates in the, you know, we, and there's so many good guys coming in the 2021 draft, 2022 draft that, you know, the relative excitement level of a lot of these guys is going to pretty much disappear. And if you're left holding the bag, it's not going to turn out very well for you. Yeah. And I think that it's a good thing to, to think about that in terms of if you do have 2019 cards, it's not a bad thing. I'm not sitting here saying that like, Oh, you shouldn't have any 2019 cards because especially the grading, if you send them to PSA and selling them right now, you're going to make bank on on these cards. If you pull them out of packs or if you buy them on eBay, I mean, John Morant, you could have gone for the longest time at $25 to $40. PSA 10s are $325, 350 right now. Of course, is non-grader up to like $70, probably $80 right now. So not the same, but still, that's a pretty huge margin. What you should be thinking about is in terms of if you can make money on these 2019 draft class cards, uh, you know, anything released in this past year of the 2019 class, selling those, taking a profit, and then dumping it into these 
players from 2018, 2017, you know, maybe, maybe even some, you know, back as 2015 guys are obviously LeBron and Giannis before that um, transitioning these short-term investments you can make money on. Like Sam was talking six months to a year, who knows, even now you could do it in three months, especially maybe a month now with the NBA restarting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, now, now there's no, now there's no, you know, time frame that is too short for, for flipping an investment. Uh, taking that money, dumping into something else that maybe has more long-term stability because, as we know, the card market is rapidly growing right now. It's in a complete you know, expansion phase. Of course, you know, maybe at some point here we'll see a little bit of a die down in terms of popularity, and I'm not saying that's going to happen. But if we do, there's going to be more popularity that comes six months after. Like We just saw that with COVID when it hit. The, for a month and a half about, the card market popularity really waned, came back hard, it went up again. I'm sure we'll see a lot of little dips and then just a steady rise up, especially with everything that's going on. I mean, in terms of new content creators are coming into it, what we're doing, what other people are doing, everything just kind of culminates into the entire industry expanding. And if you're holding these more stable things, they'll go up in value over time. You might not hit that, you know, that super big like triple up like on Kobe White if he has like a 50 point game or something, but yeah. you'll still know that you have stability in it because Kobe White gets hurt. Or if he has, you know, five really bad games in a row or something, then that investment's going to go down way quicker than something else. Like, like, let's say Giannis has three bad games. No one's going to be like, oh, Giannis stinks. You know, I'm selling yeah. all my stuff. Like, right. Yeah, the, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with the card market. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are buying into this right now, which is why cards move the way they do. And, and once people were just at home and they had all this money to burn, maybe, you know, I guess that's what happened. And all of a sudden we had this big boom, but we can't predict when something booms or when it starts to wane, you know, as an overall market. So the best thing we can really just do is just evaluate player performance. Uh, basically, every single player I talked about over the past two months in my draft recap, all has gone up since March. If I Even said if buy, you said, if, yeah. If I said buy, if I said hold, if I said sell, Literally every single one of them was an increase pretty dramatically. And almost none of it was based on performance. It was just this, you know, mad dash to try and get cards that the whole market was going through. And I have no idea when that's going to change, when that's going to end. But I think looking at actual performance and trying to figure out what's going to happen in the next couple of years, that's the only way you can defend yourself against against a market dip. If, uh, if, if the market dips and you have some guys that are just potential and maybe even not very good potential that you could have made 40, 50, 60 bucks on in, in a month, but you decided to hold, you know, then you might be hurting yourself. But uh, just looking at what they're doing right now and trying to figure out how they could perform in the future, uh, that's how you can try and protect yourself. And that's really what I try and do with my Sam Dunks videos is just look at what he's doing on the court, uh, not try to figure out if the card's undervalued or overvalued, but Where's he as a basketball player going to go from here? Uh, and then ideally the card market just kind of follows that. Although that's not a guarantee either. Yeah. I'll add into that. You said a little bit ago that, you know, all we can do is, is evaluate these guys and see where they're going from here. Cause we can't predict how the market goes, which is 100% true. Great point there. But then add in. So we have multiple segments of slab stocks. Of course, we have the very sports orientated side, like Sam's show and some of Nate's shows, Nate's shows now have been turning into a lot of card card evaluating um but if you add in you know my shows where i talk about 
which cards you should be looking at, which cards you should be buying, the prism, the optic, the select, which parallels are good buys. And then you combine that with Sam's show. That's where you really get that well-rounded, you know, investment. Cause there's a lot of guys that can come into here and know a ton about sports. You know, you know, Sam knows a ton about the NBA. There's other guys out there that play fantasy sports are like Sam, but they have no idea what they're doing in the card market. They don't even know how to buy them. They don't know which parallel to get. They don't know all this stuff, but if you can combine those two aspects of knowing a ton about sports and knowing a ton about which cards to buy and when to sell and when to hold, that's where you really get the well-rounded, you know, take on how to do the card market. So Aaron, you have a, you have a lot more experience selling cards than, than I do. Uh, how do you approach when to sell just from like a dollars and cents standpoint? Is there like a, 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 threshold that you're reaching as far as you know how much you've made at this point and you're comfortable selling with that even if it might go up from there or or how do you evaluate that personally right i think that the best way for me to tackle this is to just give some straight experience for my soccer market you know doings in the last nine months so if anyone has been following us for a while here you know we've been doing this for almost a year and a half now two years um you will know that we don't buy and sell basketball cards daily. Like we don't do that. We we go out here and make content to help you guys do it. Uh, baseball cards included, football as well. And nine months ago, I got involved in soccer cards once we made that switch because I want to find a way to still be involved, to learn a new market, to buy and sell while also helping other people in the main markets that we knew were going to you know do well, go up in value and uh, make people money. So I got into soccer. I bought a ton of cards come August and September of 2019. I got probably 400 to 500 soccer cards, which was probably the best decision I've ever made in sports cards. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And what I did was I held them all the way up until around March. So I basically held everything. I sent a bunch of stuff to PSA. Fingers crossed it's back around this week. Um, the rest of this stuff I held either non-graded or I sent on some quicker submissions to PSA or Beckett. And I knew that the market was exploding. Came come March, like Mbappe Prism rookies went from two dollars when I bought them to sixty dollars, non-graded Prism base. So I went from two to sixty dollars. So that was just a huge swing. And mm -hmm. once I hit that point, I was like, well, base cards in general are not very stable. We hit COVID downturn, and base cards were the first things to go down in value. I was like, if there's something that's going to pull the market down in value. It'll be the base cards that go first, and then everything else might follow in the future. All the numbered, all the rare stuff, all the graded. So I sold those first. First thing I did was I sold those when I knew I could made a really good profit. Did I have a profit set in my mind I wanted to achieve? Not exactly. I just knew that there's a high potential with them. So I knew I needed to sell them at some point, though. So I did it then. I sold 20-some prison base for $60 a piece, I think, somewhere around. Yeah, $60 a piece. I got like $1,200. And I actually sold all my other non-grade Mbappe stuff or PSA 9s. And I got a ton of money for that. And what I did was I knew that there's still stuff left in, in the tank. So this is someone who this is comparable to someone that has basketball cards right now. I have all these basketball cards that want up in value. Should I be selling them? Should I be holding them? What should I do? What I did was I sold the non-graded, the non-graded numbered, and I took the money and I reinvested it into more stable soccer cards. I picked up a 2017 Topps Chroma Bappe Blue BGS 10. Took like $45, turned that into 1500, bought that. And then I sold that for 7500 a month later. So that was definitely the biggest sale I've ever had. But the moral of the story is that you have to know which cards are at will to a market downturn based non-graded. And you have to flip those as you can, get your profit. If it's you know double your money, triple, maybe it's even 40% gain, which is really good. A lot of people have these 
super high expectations now that anything that I buy, I should be getting a three times return on, which is very, it's very nice and it's awesome. But there's this like stigma, I guess, to say now that everyone should be doing that, which that's, you know, that's awesome. But if you're not doing that, don't worry. Cause for the longest time in the card market, 20 to 50% returns was like amazing. And that's over like six months to a year. Right. So well, go ahead. Uh, I was, I was just going to segue that into something else. Uh, I, I buy and sell stocks too, you know, actual stocks on the stock market. And uh, I've been doing that for, you know, four or five or six years. And one of the first stocks I ever bought was a chiropractic company uh, it, called the joint. And I bought it at $2 or something. And now it's, I think it's like, well, I, last time I checked, it was like $24 a share. I don't know. It could be more, it could be less. And so just a huge return on my investment, $200 investment turned into several thousand dollars. And that was my first buy. That was my first hit, obviously. And it kind of ruined every other investment for me where I have this idea that if I'm not getting like a 200, 400, 800% return on my investment that I'm failing, I buy also some more stable stocks that go up, you know, six, seven, 8% per year. And generally that's, that's good. You know, that's kind of the type of stable stock you want to hitch your entire, you know, most of your uh, investment into, but it just wasn't as exciting for me. So, you know, right now, I think one of the pitfalls we could fall into as investors is seeing some of these guys just skyrocketing and, and expect that a lot of the rest of the cards should be doing that too, or that anything you buy right now is going to be increasing 20% come the end of the month. And that's just not necessarily the case. So yeah, running into that huge, you know, those huge increases, it could really start to make us greedy if we're not being careful. Yeah. And I think that that's a very good point. The the greediness factor is that so many people look at the market and look at their cards and they're just sitting there thinking, when do I sell this? And so many people have in their mind, I got to hit the peak. When's the peak? What value is the peak? Can I predict the peak? And the answer is always going to be no. You can never predict the peak because if you were sitting here three years ago and you're like, holy cow, LeBron just peaked PSA 10 at $750, $500. Think of how, think of how foolish you look today. You, that not only are $10,000, 10,500. And that's, you know, three years later, but even in the moment, even short term, people are like, how do I predict the peak three months? You will never know. You will never be able to do it. You you cannot sit there and think, I need to get the most out of my investment I can. You just have to be happy with the number. Rather, if it's you always want to sell at 75% return or 100% return. And when you do that, constantly, if you can, I don't want to push people into doing this if you can't, if you're not in the financial spot, but constantly be reshuffling your money in the card market. You know, if, if you think you hit on a huge trend with 2012 Prism, and you think that it hit its its biggest legs that will for the next three years right now, or maybe even the next six months, you know, sell your investments if you can make like, you know, 10 times, five times on that return. That's huge. And you can take and find somewhere else in the market that's maybe, I know we say we don't want to, you know, call things undervalued, overvalued because the market speaks for itself. You know, as people, you know, want to buy things, they will. But maybe find something that just isn't at the level of 2012 Prism yet. Rather, that's 2012 Select or 2016 Optic. All these other sets out there, you can reshuffle it around and do it over again while not just sitting on your investment for so long because then that's the other thing. If you always want to hit the peak, you'll never move anything. If you never move anything, you really limit yourself and what you can make money on because you can't you can't touch everywhere in the market. But if you constantly shuffle your money around, 
you can try hit a lot. You know, I was, I was thinking about when you're talking about that, I was thinking about Damian Lillard, you know, Damian Lillard is one of those classic guys where for years, you know, we've just been saying he's undervalued, he's undervalued, he's undervalued. And yeah, I think maybe generally he was kind of undervalued compared to players of his ilk in the NBA. But remember when he hit that, that streak where he was scoring like 50 points every game, uh, averaged, you know, 48 points or whatever for a week or two. And, you know, that took him from, I'm just looking, I think that was in the beginning of February. So around the new year, his base prism rookie card, uh, PSA tens were going for like 70, mm-hmm. uh, come end of January. He starts that streak. They're jumping over a hundred come middle of February. They're 220. Now reason tells us it's probably, he's probably not going to keep that up through the end of the year. And also the trailblazers weren't going to make much noise through the rest of the season. Maybe some of that hype dies down. End of February looked like, or end of February, beginning of March looked like a pretty good time to sell it. It was sitting at 226 um, at the beginning of March. Probably a good time to sell. Of course, now with the way the market's just kind of just We're, gone nuts, it's it's it now 550. 581 was the yeah. last one that sold the other day. If you knew that COVID was going to hit. And then we're going to have this dip and then we're all going to get stimulus checks and then we're all going to be late. They're sitting around at home surfing eBay all day. And then all this Disney talk and everything else. And that the card market will go up to 580 right now. Like, cool. Good for you. I don't know how you would know all that stuff, but just looking at it from just looking forward, it looked like 220 was probably going to be a pretty good peak. You might kick yourself if you could have over, you know, more than doubled that later and sold it. But you should never be disappointed with yourself if you, you know, pretty accurately, I think, you know, at least in terms of how you're thinking, accurately say this might be the peak. Obviously, it didn't turn out to be the case, but you can't let greed drive your buying and selling because half the time you're going to uh, hold on and lose some value. And the other half the time you're going to sell and then you're going to hate yourself later when you find out you sold too low. Um, whatever happened, it happened and you just move on. If you reinvest into something that's a little more steady and a little more long-term, like, you know, those people that are always saying, why are you talking about Kobe white? You should only be investing in Giannis and LeBron. It's like, yeah, I mean, those are two of the easiest long-term stable investments. So sure. You sell your Lillard, you sell your Kobe white. If you can get in on some, on a Giannis rookie. Awesome. That's really, that's a really good long-term investment. Um, but you know, if you decide to sell it at, you know, something where you've made some pretty considerable profit, don't feel bad that you missed out on some more profit later. If you've held on, you never know. Here, here's the other thing is that you can never, well, you can do that, but something to really help yourself to not look back and say, wow, I totally screwed up. I sold Lillard at 225. He's 550. When I sold my Mbappe stuff, I sold a silver PSI 9 for $350. I think that the most recent one sold for 900 something. But I took that money, that 350 and I bought a high-end Lionel Messi or a high-end another Mbappe. And then that stuff exploded in value as the card I already sold did too. So that's where I talk about shuffling around your money in the market. If you sell and you grab that profit and you hedge your bet, and you mitigate your risk and then you take that money and put it elsewhere, the market's so hot that wherever you put it, as long as you know what you're doing in terms of 
which cards you're buying, meaning, you know, buy your prism, select optics, maybe some high end NT autos, then you know that that stuff should go up in value as well. I mean, I don't think that anyone will be mad selling 2018 prism Lucas silver PSA 10 at $1,500 when COVID hit, if they put that $1,500 into a LeBron PSA nine rookie or something else, you know, cause then you're, you're still going to be up anyways in the end. Right. And that's, that's other- where I sit with that. Yeah. Do do you see any other pitfalls that sometimes uh, card investors or investors in general could fall into? Yeah, I for sure do. And I think that this is, it's funny because there was a whole conversation like 60 comments long on one of our buy sell posts one day about two guys going at it about how you should be investing in basketball cards. And it was really about, should you, should you be doing prospecting? Meaning these, you know, 2018, 2019 guys, or just buying Giannis and LeBron. And not everyone has the ability to buy Giannis and LeBron and sit for five years because they need to be transitioning these funds to build up and make more money, which makes total sense. Or put food on the table. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That too. So, you know, using that money to do that. And a lot of people, it's not about the Giannis or LeBron debate. We already covered that. It's about, expanding your horizons of how you look at the card market so many people think that there's only one way to do it there's only i can only buy Giannis lebron i can only right. buy new sets only new 2019 sets i you know base cards are stupid all this stuff that right. people get into these super concrete mindsets about how they should be buying and selling cards and they will miss out on so many opportunities out there or like soccer cards are dumb that's what nate told me when i told nate I was buying Kylian Mbappe thinking this is the next potential Giannis play when Giannis was a dollar or two dollars for a prism rookie. Obviously, now they're 750 for a base. I don't think that Mbappe is going to get there, but I knew that two two dollars was super undervalued. And he told me they're dumb. So Nate was in that mindset of, you know, something new is dumb. You always have to be open to changing your mindset or finding new avenues. And if you don't, you're just going to be left behind everyone. Every there's going to everyone who changes with the times is going to leave you in the dust. Yeah, you know, I know people love our graphs that we put on Instagram. And just because we post a graph doesn't mean that we're advocating this as a as a, a buy opportunity. You know, I think a lot mm-hmm. of people do see, you know, you start seeing this huge trend line and it's like, oh, I need to jump on that train. Chances are it's already left the station by the time it hits our page. All we do is report on something that's already happened. So if if you're just looking at at the way things have been going and the trends that have been exploding and you're trying to get onto it, you're probably already too late. Maybe you could get some more return off of that, but maybe you won't. So, you know, searching elsewhere for the undervalued segments of the market, you know, whether it be a totally different, you know, series of cards or, you know, uh, variation pictures or anything like that. Uh, you, you jump into that and try and get there before the rest of the market. Otherwise, you're just going to be trying to play catch up all the time and you're really not going to get too much return on any of your investments. Yeah, and I think a good last point here is that you brought up the graphs that we post. If you read the graph as this is a card I need to buy, that's the exact wrong way to do it. You should read You should read the graph as why did it go up in value? You, you can read what I say or you can go and do your own research. Why did it go up in value? What card is it? What player is it? See what the history of the card player grade is, why it went up in value, and then apply that knowledge to other things in the marketplace. We're trying to give people ideas of why stuff goes up in value, how it does, how quickly, so you can apply it elsewhere. By no means are the graphs on the page even supposed to be promoting anything as a buy opportunity. Generally, if you want to even find stuff like that from us, you either have to be receiving our newsletters or you have to really listen in depth to our YouTube videos. 
So, you know, we don't want to go out there and give people all the secrets at their fingertips because then crazy stuff happens where someone says like, you know, or they see that we say like one word of a player and then like maybe it's undervalued and the next thing you know, it's totally overvalued. So there's no point in doing that. If you look at, you know, major news outlets out there, they report. That's exactly what we do as well. I think it's very, if you use that type of, you know, mindset, reading our graphs, listening to our YouTube videos, you know, you will do so much better and not be as angry about it probably if you, you know, look at it as like, holy cow, I got to buy this card and then you buy the card and then it loses value because it's already hit a peak, you know, like, right. yeah, just crazy stuff like that. Um, You have anything else you want to touch on here? I mean, I feel like I got a lot out there for people to listen yeah, to. Yeah, I think we addressed a lot of things that I've been kind of wanting to address after reading comments here and there over the past couple of months. So, right. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron, for uh, joining us. It was wonderful to have you all and uh, make sure you go to slabstocks.com backslash slabstocks. If you haven't registered already, we do have that big platform coming out in the next, uh, well, this summer sometime. And uh, we'll let you know when that's going to happen. Uh, so be sure to go there, put your email address in and click register. Uh, we'd love to have you on the platform with us and uh, track your portfolio and take advantage of all the tools that we're uh, releasing for you. And it's all free. So uh, please be sure to go and do that. If you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, please do that. And also tell all your friends. All right. Thank you so much for all of your time. We'll see you next week.